The March to Zion broadcast is a weekly radio production of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. The broadcast is under the direction of Elder Tim McCool, pastor. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Stay tuned for a message of God's sovereign grace. Good morning. This is Elder Tim McCool, pastor of Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. We want to welcome you to the March to Zion broadcast, and we thank you for your ongoing support and prayers, and we rejoice whenever we hear from various ones of you who were able to contact us. It's very encouraging to know that you're listening. If you're a first-time listener, then we pray that the Lord would bless our time together. We're very thankful to be able to uh, broadcast like we do. We're thankful to the radio stations, and we've been broadcasting for a number of years now, and it's certainly a blessing to be able to speak to you in this way. Uh, we would want to invite you to come and worship at Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church. As we've already indicated, we're located just off of Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Ecola. We have an open-door policy. We don't have assigned seats. We worship the Lord in a simple manner. It's not confusing. You don't have to wonder where to sit or where to be. The program that we have for the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ is to sing and to preach and to pray. And that is so simple that even a child can remember that. We sing, which is scriptural. We preach, which is scriptural, and we pray which is scriptural. It's a very simple service, and we model it after the demonstrations of worship and the Word of God and the way that Jesus and the apostles did it whenever they were here. So you come and worship with us. We'd love to have you anytime that you can. I'd love to hear from you. I'm going to give you my email address so that if you'd like to contact me. Uh, my email address is tim at dot com. That's tim at T-I-M-M-C-C-O-L-L. AW.com. So we'd love to hear from you in whatever mode of communication that you are able to communicate with us. We would love to hear from you. Again, we want to thank you for spending this time with us. We're going to hear a song, and then we'll go back to the Word of God, Second Peter, the first chapter, as we continue preaching this uh, series out of Second Peter, and we take up the ongoing subject of cunningly devised fables. I hope that you'll be prayerful that the Lord will bless. Uh, we're going to hear a song that's a very beautiful song, very well-known song, and I hope that you enjoyed it. It's called, It Is Well With My Soul.
We look back in our Bibles this morning to 2 Peter, the first chapter. We want to key in on verse 16, as we did last week, as we continue this subject here. 2 Peter 1 and 16, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We've been speaking about spiritual urban legends, which is the phrase that I choose to use to describe for us today what he means when he says cunningly devised fables. Today, we might say it like this, spiritual urban legends. And we all know what urban legends are. They are myths that travel around in different forms and different regions that may have a seed of truth. They may not. But I use that so we can understand that there are things that travel around the spiritual circles and among the areas where God's word is, is spoken and God's people call upon God. And they are really nothing more than legends, spiritual urban legends. They may have a hint of truth in them, but there is no truth to them. The Bible does not support what the legend is. Now, for example, we, we went over these last week very briefly. A spiritual urban legend examples are the sinner's prayer. It's not found in the Word of God. Accepting Christ as your personal Savior, that is not found. No instruction is given in the Word of God by Jesus himself or any apostle that he is to be accepted, and he's knocking on the door of your heart, and he's trying to get in. That's a, that's a misuse of Revelations 3.20, which we hope to speak some more about today. That's a spiritual urban legend. The rapture, not found in the Word of God. It's a spiritual urban legend. The idea that if you commit suicide, you go to hell automatically. Uh, spiritual urban legend, that legend right there can find no hint of truth or scripture for support or anything in the Word of God. There is not even remotely anything remotely close to supporting the idea that if you commit suicide, you, you automatically go to hell. Another spiritual urban legend is you better not pray for patience because the Bible says that the Lord will send you a tribulation to give you patience. The Bible does not say that. It's, a, it's an embellished spiritual urban legend. And then another famous one is the Lord won't put on you more than you you can bear. There's nowhere in the Word of God that it says that. It's a misquote of what the Lord says in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, about enduring and being able to bear temptations and get away from temptations. The temptations and the things spoken of in that verse are not coming from the Lord. The Lord is interceding for us and providing a way for us to escape. All of these spiritual urban legends are not something that I've dreamed up myself and said, well, we need to dispel this. I want you to know I'm not the only person that has dispelled these legends. And it's not just primitive Baptists or old Baptists that say, well, this is not how it is. I'm going to give you a quote this morning, uh, once again, from a very well-known evangelist from the early 1900s that was not a primitive Baptist. And, and a lot of the information that you find, if you're brave enough to search for these, the truth behind these legends, the only ones are not primitive Baptists dispelling these legends. There's many different people and evangelists and preachers in different denominations that understand these things are nothing more than embellished things from the Word of God that have, have grown and morphed into what people consider doctrine today, but they're not found in the Word of God. Now, as we continue talking about the spiritual urban legend that we began last week, we started with the, the false idea that's put out there today, just as people just take it for the truth, that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and he's trying to get in if you'll just let him. I want to give you part of the quote again from A.W. Tozer, who was a very famous, well-known preacher earlier in the 1900s. He says this, Now the particular attitude revealed here about accepting Christ is wrong because it makes Christ stand hat in hand somewhere outside the door waiting on our human judgment. 
And so in this view, our poor Lord Jesus Christ stands hat in hand, shifting from one foot to another, looking for a job, wondering whether he will be accepted. It will be at his word that the grave shall give up their dead, and the dead shall come forth alive forevermore. At his word, the fire shall burst loose and burn up the earth and the heavens and the stars and the planets shall be swept away like a garment. He is the one, the mighty one. And there's an exclamation point at the end of that statement. And yet there he stands. How grotesque can it be? The question ought not to be whether I will accept him. The question ought to be whether he will accept me. And again, I say amen to Brother Tozer, who has long passed from this life, but left a great legacy of dispelling spiritual urban legends for us, and that is one. Last week, we talked about where that legend came from. It's very simple to find the, the and trace the root to this legend of Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, trying to get in if you'll just let him in. As we mentioned last week, very briefly, there was a time in the United States of America called the Great Awakening. Men like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield, and John Wesley and others furthered the ideas of radical repentance and revival, which are great things and taught in the Word of God. But eventually, the passage from Revelations 3 and 20 was used And it inspired many evangelists and many of those preaching radical repentance to use this as a way to pressure people and to get them to make a decision to serve God. Revelations 3 and 20, once again. And this is the verse of Scripture from which the spiritual urban legend of the idea of Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. If you'll just open up and let him in, then you'll be saved. You can go to heaven and accepting him. This is where that came from. And it began to grow out of the Great Awakening in the 1700s. It says in Revelations 3 and 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Now this passage was written explicitly, directly to lukewarm Christians. Notice now, born again Christians who already had Jesus in in their heart. How do we know that? Because Revelations 3 and 14 is a continuation of the Lord speaking directly to the seven churches. And you know, here at the churches, the last one mentioned here in Revelations 3 and 14 was the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church. And let's just read it. He says, Unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, that's Jesus. This is Jesus speaking, by the way. The faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says to the church, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee, he's speaking to the church, he's continuing the message to the church, the whole verse from 14 on down to the end of the chapter. I counsel thee, he counsels the church, to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love... I rebuke and chasten, be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." 
Now, modern spiritual legend, urban legend, would have us believe that Jesus is speaking to the reprobate, uh, dead, alien sinner who has no spiritual life in his heart. And Jesus, they would say, well, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, and you need to open and let him in, and then you'll be born again. Nothing could be farther from the context or truth of these verses here. Now, we're not trying to run down anyone. I'm trying to expose the truth behind the glorious reality that it is not us that accept Jesus, but it is Jesus who accepts us through his own sacrifice. There can be no disputing over who this is written to. He says it's written unto the churches. So behold, I stand at the door and knock on the door of the church. If any man hear my voice and open the door of the church, I will come into him and I will sup with him in the church and he with me. These are, these are rebukes and lessons to the churches, to the born-again children of God, baptized members of those churches. This church here was particularly bad because they were lukewarm. They didn't think they had need of anything. They didn't think they had need of repentance or had need of humility or had need of Jesus being with them in the church, and they didn't even realize he wasn't there. Behold, he stands at the door of the church and knocks. And if any man will open the door of the church and let him in, he will sup with them. He will have fellowship with them. Well, guess what? This passage, which was written explicitly to lukewarm Christians, born again, lukewarm Christians, in a lecturer named John Webb in the mid-1700s, used this passage as a basis for evangelizing non-Christians. He says this, and I quote, and this is from Christ's Suit to the Sinner, uh, page 14. Here is a promise of union to Christ. This is what John Webb wrote on, on record about Revelations 3 and 20, which is to the church and not to somebody who, uh, somebody who is not a follower of Jesus or someone who's not born again. He says, and I quote, Here is a promise of union to Christ. In these words, I will come into him. For example, if any sinner will but hear my voice and open the door and receive me by faith, I will come into his soul and unite him to me and make him a living member of that my mystical body of which I am the head. Christ's suit to the sinner, page 14, written by John Webb in the 1700s. And preachers heavily relied on Revelations 3 and 20 following this misuse of the verse. You come on down through the years of great times of evangelization. Uh, there's the Cane Ridge meeting from the 1800s. There's other men that came along and formed ideas like the Anxious Bench, which turned into the Sinner's Bench, which probably today you'd notice that and maybe as the prayer bench, you know, where somebody is supposed to come down and what they do at that location enables them to go to heaven. Those things are all formulated by men. And then you come on down to a day in the early 1900s where a very famous evangelist named Billy Sunday from Chicago, interesting that his name was Billy Sunday, he was a well-known baseball player. He was one that began to follow the Lord, and he had very little understanding. This is a written historical record by his own admission. Had a very great man, good man, loved the Lord. There's no question about these men that we call by name. They love the Lord. It wasn't some kind of conspiracy to propagate errors or lies upon the children of God. No, it just morphed into this. It began to grow as a legend, and it was embellished more and more, just as a urban legend would be embellished and grow more and more out in the secular world today. These spiritual urban legends. Billy Sunday came along, and he refined the idea that you had to come down and let Jesus in your heart, and that's how you would go to heaven. 
He was one that refined that idea. It was later refined in the in 1950s into what was known as the four spiritual laws so that you could be a born-again child of God. And then very well-known in the 1970s, it became a very well-known pamphlet known as How to Be Born Again. And then not only that, but other Bibles like the Living Bible and others have completely change the the text of various verses to comply with the idea that you have to let Jesus into your heart in order to have a relationship with him. Listen, I don't want to bore anybody with history, but if we don't understand how these spiritual urban legends arose, then we can never truly understand how to combat them. And what and what is the big deal? Why is it so important that we say the truth of the God's word? The truth of God's word says we don't accept him but he accepts us because that's the opposite of what God says. It, and it has to do with God's glory. And it, it has to do with being made free from any burden or any kind of thing that, that man would put on us and say, we have to do this, we have to do this so that we can go to heaven. Let's talk for the rest of our time about what the Bible does say about how we are born again. First of all, remember Revelations 3 and verses 14 through 22, focusing specifically on Jesus standing at the door of that church, the Laodicean church and knocking, has nothing to do with being born again. It has to do with born-again Christians, born-again Christians in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, baptized in the church. They had drifted away from serving God in the way that they needed to. So understand that's what that means. Now, let's look at some verses of Scripture that tell us about whether or not we accept him or he accepts us. Ephesians, the first chapter, which is a verse that we refer to often, but it is so clear and so plain about the this accepting idea or this letting Jesus into your heart, the spiritual urban legend. Ephesians 1, and let's read in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And he begins, Paul begins to name these spiritual blessings. Number one, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's the first spiritual blessing he lists. Number two, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. That's a, that is a second blessing there. Our destination has been set by God. It has been altered by God because our destination would have been hell if he had not intervened and, and, and set our destination through Jesus Christ by adopting us into the family of the Lord. Now, spiritual blessing number three, verse six, it, he has, it says that he is according to the good pleasure of his will done this to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. I want you to notice what that doesn't say. It does not say wherein he has made us accepted by our accepting him or by our letting him in or by our praying a prayer or by our doing something. No, he says he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Well, then that begs the question, who's the beloved? It's Jesus Christ. My love, my dove is but one, he says over in the Song of Solomon. He is the beloved. He is the beloved of the Father, beloved before the foundation of the world, beloved through all eternity when he was in the glory with his Father in all eternity, and he set aside that glory and was made a little lower than the angels, and he went to the cross for the suffering of sins and, and for the punishment of our sins, took it and put him away and was resurrected on the third day. The beloved sits on the right hand of the throne of God, and we are accepted. Accepted in him. We are not accepted by our accepting him. It doesn't say that anywhere in the word of God. So well, what's the big deal? 
It's about his glory, the good pleasure of his will, of his grace. He has made us accepted in his beloved in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I want you to watch this as we read this again. Listen to the emphasis here. God is to be blessed and praised. It says, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accept in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Do you see the emphasis there? Is that not amazing? Could there be any doubt in these listings of the blessings that we have that all glory goes to the Lord? As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said that if he that glories, let him glory in the Lord. Speaking of our salvation, speaking of the way that we are saved, he doesn't want anybody, anything, any prayer, any idea that we do this or we do that. He wants no flesh to glory in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter and verse 29, he says, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Do you see that, child of God? Furthermore, the only place, it would have been a good place in the book of Acts, the 10th chapter, when Peter came to Cornelius, to, as God instructed him to go down there, it would have been a good place for Peter to have looked at Cornelius and said, okay, Cornelius, well, now you need to, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and you need to let him in. That's not what Peter said in Acts 10 and 34. Peter opened his mouth after seeing that, that Cornelius was already born again, already serving God, already doing good things, already doing good works, already ringing forth the fruit of the Spirit. He says, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. In other words, God's got people in every nation. It wasn't just the Jews that he had a people among, which is what was a common misconception of the Jews. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. How about that? Peter, if, you, if Peter was following the modern spiritual urban legend, he should have said, now you need to accept him, Cornelius. No, Peter recognized that God had already accepted Cornelius through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Cornelius' work that he was doing was just an evidence of the fact that he was already a born-again child of God. Oh, child of God, let's dispel spiritual urban legends and be set free. The word accept, accepted, or accepting uh, it occurs only 28 times in the New Testament. It won't take long to study that out. And you'll find that it always, without exception, when it relates to our salvation, always has to do with God accepting us through Jesus Christ, not us accepting him and not him knocking on the door of our heart to get in. May all glory go to the Lord for our salvation, and may we dispel and look away from these spiritual urban legends. May God be praised, and may the Lord bless you. You've been listening to the March to Zion broadcast. For more information, contact 205-364-1396 or write to the March to Zion broadcast, P.O. Box 270, Carrollton, Alabama, 35447. Bethlehem Primitive Baptist Church is located seven miles east of Gordo, and 10 miles west of Northport, just off Highway 82 on the Boyd Road near Ecola. 
Services are each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and the second and fourth Wednesday night at 6.30 p.m. Please join us next week for another message of God's sovereign grace.